Good morning, guys. Good morning. It's still morning. Yeah, for a little bit longer, it's good morning. Uh, hey, we're going to hop in because we have a lot of stuff to cover, and I uh, want to make sure you guys get out on a, in a decent uh, time. Growing up, we <clears throat> church was uh, hours long, and I remember uh, thinking, if I ever go to church when I'm older, I hope it's not this way. And so um, if you, if you ever, I mean, the church I grew up going to, we would uh, have like Sunday school before, have church, and then we'd have like leadership meeting in the afternoon, and then Sunday night church. It was just, it was a thing. And uh, I didn't really look forward to it. So anyways, we, uh, I don't know, know why I'm telling you that. I see you're here and there. It's literally the opposite of what I'm talking about. We need to get, jump into this thing. Okay. <laughs> ben got me a Red Bull right before uh, service. <laughs> so... Uh, it's going a little faster than it normally is. I apologize ahead of time for anything coming out. Uh, if I say anything weird, we're going to take the service down and we'll edit it and put it back up <laughs> so we don't get canceled this week. Uh, hey, uh, one of the most important questions we talk about all the time uh, as, as, uh, as, as Christ followers, and even if, you're, if you find yourself in this room and you're, you're not a Christian right now, um, highly, highly could, uh, challenge you to consider it. Uh, but is this, is this question of who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? I think it's one of the biggest questions that we can ask ourselves. Who are you becoming? Not who do you intend to become. Not who would you like to become. Not who you, what your vision wall, your Pinterest board, or your, your self-affirmation statements say you want to become. Not who you tell everyone that you plan on becoming one day or you're going to start working towards this kind of person. But who are you actually becoming? In light of your habits, in light of your decisions, in light of what you've done this past week, this past month, if you were to copy and paste those decisions for the rest of your life, who are you actually becoming? In your physical health, in your relationship with others, what kind of spouse are you becoming? What kind of friend are you becoming? All that stuff. How, who are you actually becoming? And the same goes for us as a church. And this is what we're going to talk about today is who are we becoming as, as, a, as Voice Church? Who are becoming as Voice Church? Not what do we, you know, we put our best foot forward on, on Insta or whatever. Like not what do we want people to think we're becoming, but who are we be actually becoming as a church? And the, the, the big important part of this is that, you know, myself, my wife and I, the elders, the staff, we're a part of shaping the culture here at Voice. But in a lot of ways, we're only a small part of what this culture actually is. And the thing with culture is, my dad used to tell me growing up all the time, he said, you know, he was training me to go into business, and, and he would tell me all the time that the, the talk in the halls is more important than the writing on the walls. And it's true because it rhymes, right? So the talk in the hall is actually more important than the writing on the walls because we've all been in situations where you're sitting at the customer service desk and this person is being an absolute jerk, but then right behind them, their motto is, the customer always comes first. We endeavor to blah, 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 and you're going, the talk, the culture of the place does not match up with the vision of the place, right? So it doesn't matter what's written on the wall. What are you actually becoming? And there's a lot of churches, you know, us included, that are, we can put uh, something on the wall or on our website of here's who we are, here's what we believe, here's what we value, but values are revealed. They're not spoken. They're not put on plaques. They're not put on walls. Values are how you actually conduct yourself. And I would actually say values are clear when it's most challenging. Values are clearest when what you value, what you want, what you think is, what you deem to be important when that's threatened. Then you find out what you really value. And so for us as a staff and, and leadership team and elders, we, again, we help to shape the culture of this church, but you shape the culture of the church just as much as we do. Every small group leader, every volunteer leader, you guys are shaping the culture of your teams, which in turn shape the culture of the church. 
Everyone that volunteers is shaping the culture of the church. And everyone that doesn't volunteer is shaping the culture of the church. Everyone that's in a small group shapes the culture. Everyone that decides not to be in a small group shapes the culture. Every person watching online or watching in person shaped the culture of the church. And so it's important that as we're turning a page, fingers crossed, as we're finalizing this, this lease, we're turning a page as a church. That once we get into this long-term space, we're going to talk like OGs about the good old days when we were portable, set up and tear down, and these new people have no idea what we went through as a church, right? Where the addresses are, this is actually where the church is going to be next week, right? Or like right now, we're trying to get our Google, for like the last year, we've been trying to get our Google uh, address confirmed, but through a lot of series of events, it's really challenging for whatever reason. And so if your friends, I know some of you guys have invited friends, and they've looked us up on Google, and they went to our old address, and I know it's wrong, and we're trying to update. We spent hours on it. We literally can't. So it's fantastic. But we're turning the page as a church. And here's what's important for us to understand. As, a, as an individual, as a family, as a church, when things change in your environment, it's a great time for things to change. And here's what I mean by that. When you move, when you get a different career, when you change companies you work for, when you, those are great times for other things to be reevaluated that needs to be changed. So when things change in your life, a lot of times more things change. And so for us as a church, we get to shift some things. It's a great time that there's less resistance to change when there's bigger changes. And so as we are potentially going into this new space, I want us to pay attention to who we are and pay attention to who we're going to be. And so uh, there's some parts of our culture that's because of our values. There's some parts of our culture that are part of our culture because we're portable. We'll talk about that in a little bit. There's some parts of our culture uh, because we're coming through this thing called COVID uh, and all the ramifications of that. And so some are great and some are not. Some are great and some are not. Let me tell you a few great things. Uh, so many of you guys have continued to stay faithful, to come to the church, to watch online. If Even the ones who are like watching and hosting online, even though you don't feel comfortable coming in person yet, awesome. The ones who, who stayed faithful in small groups, whether it be through Zoom or in person or a hybrid of the both, awesome. Uh, some people who are learning to lean into times of worship. I don't know what you're feeling, but I feel that we're turning a page. We're, it can feel the room leaning in during worship more than we have in the past. That's good. We're moving in the right direction. One of my favorite things that we've done in the past uh, six, eight months or so is when you've been called to be generous, you have stepped up. We, I, I tell my, our friends that, you know, we may be a smaller startup church right now, but we like to think that we punch above our weight class when it comes to generosity. And you do. You do. And so when we did Operation uh, One Child Sponsorship and, and we, or you rather, not me, I guess we, I was part of it, but all of us, you guys sponsored three times the average of kids being sponsored. So there are dozens of kids in the Philippines on a remote island that their lives are forever changed because of you. Because you said yes. Right now we're in the middle of the team uh, running and raising money for World Vision. And there are going to be dozens, hopefully hundreds of people on the other side of the world, all around the world, that have clean water because of you. And so great job to everyone walking, jogging, running, crawling uh, for the uh, half marathon uh, for World Vision. And if you're not running, jogging, or crawling, support someone uh, that is financially so they can reach their goal. Um, 
But so those are some great things. Some, some challenging things that I think that we need to uh, lovingly course correct. Uh, I look at this thing like uh, when, when we first landed on the moon. I was, that wasn't, that wasn't, wasn't a we because I had no part of that. But when we as a nation landed on the moon for the first time, there were over 10,000 micro adjustments. Just slightly off course adjusting, right? And I think these are one of those moments. These are a few things I think we need to bump the rudder, slightly adjust uh, where we're going. Uh, f- one of them is, for many people, uh, our faith. Our faith went from the center of our universe, that everything else orbited around our time, our finances, our relationships, orbited around our faith. And that's been bumped down in priority for many people through this pandemic, right? And so what was the center of the universe is kind of like Neptune or Pluto way out here. Now we see it every once in a while, but it's not the center power that it used to. And the thing is, priorities drift. I get it. Let's just say that the gyms are a little less crowded than they were two years ago. A lot of faces we don't see anymore, right? And so it's the same kind of thing. Priorities drift. They do for all of us. Priorities drift. And the thing is, the principle here is that you never drift to somewhere healthy. In your relationships, in your finances, in your, uh, in your health, uh, in your spiritual walk, you never drift to somewhere healthy. Whenever you make decisions that are going to put you in the right direction, you're always going to go upstream. So if you're waiting for the feelings to line up, it ain't going to happen, right? The steak, the pizza will always look better than the salad. Sleeping in will always look better than waking up, right? A lot of times the wrong decisions will look way better than the right decisions, right? So another area that is more because we're portable, we talked about this before, it's one of the most uh, things I'm most excited about getting uh, getting a building is what happens right after service. So that's those 15 minutes or so right after service, what should be a time to connect with one another, to pray with one another, to support one another, to make lunch plans that day, for new people to not feel like they have to skip out right away, but they can build relationships. That time is teardown time for us, right? We pack everything back up into rolling boxes and those boxes go in a trailer and that trailer goes to secure storage for us to do the opposite for the following week. And what the beautiful thing is when we get our own building, uh, then we can dismiss service and have time to build relationships, to pray with one another, because we can leave everything set up, and it's going to still be there next week. I'm so excited about that. So that's something that we need to uh, bump the rudder on as well, and we'll be able to do that once we get into this building. So today we're starting a new series. As we are turning the page and looking at stuff we need to change in the church, as a church family culturally, we're calling, the, the, calling this series Picture This. Picture this. And the whole idea is that every journey, every trip, every vacation, every project starts with something you picture, right? If you're doing a home, de- home, home improvement project around the house or you got your Pinterest board set up, you got the architect's drawings and you're like, I'm saving up, my yard's going to be a construction zone because it's going to look like this, right? Or you're, or you're getting through this season of work because, you know, you have a vacation coming up in June or July or whatever and you're going, I cannot wait to sit on the beach, and you have exactly what's going to be in your hand, and what are you going to see, and what are you going to feel, what's it going to smell like, and that picture gives you power to keep going, to keep pushing through, right? So even the kid, I remember growing up, we, uh, I, you know, I, Asian, we don't really, we're not really good at basketball, there's not a lot of us in the NBA, and we're more like tennis and ping pong uh, kind of people. So, but I remember growing up, we had, we had a hoop in, in our backyard, and our friends would come over, and we'd always do the same thing for whatever reason. we put the hoop down to eight feet because, you know, we were little. Uh, and so 
uh, we, would, we would play basketball, and we would always do the same thing. We'd count three, two, one, and then do the fadeaway jumper. And you'd take 10 times, and you're like, made it, right? Why? Because you're picturing this moment. You are in game seven, the NBA finals. You are Michael Jordan. You are Kareem Abdul-Jabbar shooting the three-pointer hook shot. Like this is you. You picture it, right? It's, it's vivid in your head. And I want us to think about what do we picture when we think about church, for a lot of times, church can be uh, kind of a spectator sport. It can be a consumer thing of, man, if you sing the right songs, if the teaching is good enough, then maybe I'll, I'll stay. But it's not this sense of what is it supposed to be? Like is, is, is what the modern church is today in Western America, what it was supposed to be and what God intended it to be? Or is it something different? This is something different. What do we picture when we, when we think about the church? And what do we picture when we think about a relationship with God? So there's two things I want you to think about as we're going through this series. Is One, what do we picture when we think about the church? And the second thing is, what do we think about when you think about your relationship with God? Your relationship with God. Man, our prayer is that it moves from something you have to do to a thriving relationship with God. Like, what if you had a thriving, authentic, messy real relationship with God. That's what we want to move towards. And it can happen. And as much as you want that, can I tell you, God wants it more than you do. That's why we're here as a church. So what we're going to do over the next several weeks, we're going to clarify what that looks like. So uh, in a few weeks here, uh, programs and, and schools and colleges and all sorts of uh, uh, schools, or whatever, are going to have graduations, right? But they don't call them goodbyes. What do they call them? They call them commencements. The commencements, because it's not the end of something. They're celebrating the beginning of something. And what we're going to go through is, is, a, is a verse where Jesus has kind of his graduation for his interns. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says this. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. You will receive power. That the Holy Spirit is not so you feel goosebumps during, uh, during worship. Or as my old pastor used to say, goosey bumps. It's kind of weird. Or I think you call them chicken pimples too, which is a little, <laughs> a little weird. It's kind of an old timer. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. So that's the Red Bull talking. So you receive power. The Holy Spirit, the whole point of the Holy Spirit coming is that you receive power, but not power to like claim a Cadillac. The whole point of the Holy Spirit coming is you had a power to share the gospel with people. Not in like a weird way, not a sandwich board sitting on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard telling people that the end is near. Right? Nothing weird. It's just that you have power and boldness to reach the people that are around you that you can reach that I can't. So he says, when you receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells these guys and gals, there's some gals there, 120 disciples or so, he tells them that you're going to go to four places. Jerusalem, it's a huge deal because most of these people are from Galilee, which is a good ways up north. Right? You can Google it how far it is. It's, it's a, a multiple day, just about a three-hour drive today, but it's a lot longer back, back in the day, right? So these guys were in Galilee. So think about someone that's in, like, remote California. And God says, the first place I want you to reach is Los Angeles. They're like, what? We never go to Los Angeles. Like, that's a huge city. We're going to reach them first? He goes, yeah, you're going to reach Jerusalem first. You're going to reach a big city. The second thing you're going to go is you're going to go to Judea, which is the province around that. So when you're done reaching Los Angeles, you're going to go to just take Southern California after that. Okay? And then after that, go to Samaria. Samaria are those people. Samaria are the people that your parents over dinner said, okay, I don't want you hanging out with those people. I'd rather you be single or celibate than marry or date someone from there. 
right? You don't hang out with those people. You go around that town. You don't go through that town, right? And so he says you're going to go to, you're going to reach the big city, you're going to reach the general area, and then you're going to reach those people, that you're going to build relationships. Because you can't impact someone's life unless you know their story. You can't know their story unless you know their name. You can't know their name unless you're around them, right? And a lot of times, these issues that need to be solved are actually people that need to be loved. And you learn stories. And when you learn someone's name and story, it's different, isn't it? It's more than just how they vote or what they wear or whatever. You learn their story. And you begin to understand, maybe if I grew up in your shoes, maybe I would believe what you believe. And there's grace there. So Jesus says, go reach Samaria. Go reach people that you disagree with, and you're going to find out that you're more like them than you think. And then he says, when you're done with all of that, go to the ends of the earth. So newsflash, we're in the ends of the earth, right? Unless any of you guys grew up in Samaria, we're like in the ends of the earth. They went through this list, and they finally got to us. So we're here. Because our faith that we believe in isn't for one color. It's not for one tax bracket. It's not for one demographic. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. This is why Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, It's news that I'm most proud to proclaim. This extraordinary message of God. Of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him. Starting with the Jews and then right on to everyone else. We're in the everyone else. So think about this. He sends them out with no money, no connections, nothing. Think about how crazy that was. Except for one thing. It worked. It worked. These men and women gave up years of their life to follow this man. And now this guy is leaving and telling them to go change the world. It's impossible. Except that it worked. Except that it worked and except that we're here. What would have happened if Jesus gave the little pep talk and he ascended? He's gone. There's no angel singing. There's no, like music going. He just ascends, and then you're just there with the disciples. And what if the disciples just go, eh? Think about it, right? If, you, if you'd been like, okay, how long is this going to take? Because I got, I got like a five-year plan. Okay, I can help you on maybe t- every other Tuesday for like an hour, okay, because I got stuff going on. Or man, that just seems really inconvenient for me, Right? These are actual conversations I have with people all the time. So, um, so aren't you thankful that the disciples took Jesus up on the challenge? They said, well, we're going to do it. And what the disciples ended up doing, now apostles, for the next several years is written in the book of Acts. Acts, A-C-T-S, not A-X-E, not like the body spray. Uh, A-C-T-S uh, is short for Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles because it lists out the Acts of the Apostles, Right? And so if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 29, what you're going to find is that there's no Acts chapter 29. You're going to find that it ends with Acts chapter 20, and actually it ends very abruptly because the whole idea, it's not, there's no idea of like, and, it, and they lived happily ever after. There's no conclusion to the book of Acts. And the whole idea is that because it's still being written today, that we are the continuation, that it's handing the baton off generation to generation year after year, and now the baton has been handed to us. And for this short season, in the light of eternity, we have, we're on this earth for a short season. And there will come a time when you and I, we hand the baton off to the next generation. And the goal is that they could stand on our shoulders, that we can leave the world a better place for them, that that the kingdom of heaven will be a little more expanded for them. This is it. This is about stewardship. So, 
There's been countless people who have gone before us, and there's countless people who will go after us. And the question that I want us to think about as we're going through this whole thing is, will you be part of writing Acts 29? That's what we're doing as a church. As a church right now, we are writing Acts chapter 29. We're not just having services. We're not doing karaoke and a TED Talk once a week. We are trying to further God's kingdom and write Acts chapter 29. So this is, the, this is how the book of Acts is broken up. Acts 1.8, which is what we just read. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That is a template for what's about to happen for the whole book of Acts. And what happens is it, the book of Acts summarizes a section with a verse that kind of just says, in conclusion, here's what happened in that last section. And what I want to do is I want to go over some of these summary verses and then kind of pull out uh, some uh, implications for us as we kind of clarify what, how God sees the role of the church. And so here's the first verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. There's this amazing moment where they were full of the Holy Spirit, and then Peter ends up, they thought they were, like the crowds came, and because there was so much energy and so many people at this gathering, they literally thought the church was like drunk. Like not on the Holy Spirit, they thought they were like doing keg stands at nine in the morning. And Peter gets up and he goes, guys, it's in the morning. What kind of people do you think we are that were drunk at nine in the morning? Let me explain to you what's happening. He goes through the entire gospel message. And then that, that section ends with this, verse 47. It says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. In other words, they took care of each other. It says, in each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. The Lord added to their group those who are being saved. So the church begins to grow. And here's what I want you to take note of. Who added to the church? Who added to the church? Did it say because Peter was a known great communicator and he had a great following on Instagram? Did he say that they had a great rebranding strategy and if you could see their banners and their logo and they had this videographer that could tell stories, they had a worship team that was amazing. This guy sang, this gal sang with the, with the voice of an angel. No, it doesn't say that. It didn't say they ended services with a drama and they had, you know, a petting zoo outside and they had all this, Justin Bieber came and it was awesome. They didn't say any of that. Who added to the church? God did. God added to the church. This should take a huge load off of us. It does for me. That God does a heavy lifting. It takes a huge burden off of us. God is at work. And the reason why that's important is, how many of you guys have ever held back from telling a coworker or a friend or a neighbor about your faith because, because you're afraid you're going to mess it up. You're going to say it wrong. You're going you're to tell the wrong story. You're going to give them wrong doctrine. And they're going to say, I would be a Christian, but my neighbor, <laughs> my coworker, they said this and they're crazy, right? So how many gets that held back because you feel like you're going to do it all wrong? Well, Jesus never says that we're not going to make mistakes. We are going to make mistakes. Hopefully a lot of mistakes, Right? And hopefully we're humble and we're teachable and we own it and we move forward, but we will make mistakes. There's a funny story about a woman. It's a true story from what I gather. There's a, there's a woman in a, in a small group, and one of her favorite verses is 1 John 4.18, and it says that, that, that perfect love drives out fear, that there's no fear in love. Perfect, f- perfect love drives out fear. And it was huge in her life. She made a bunch of mistakes, and we don't go into it, but she made some bad decisions, so this was huge in her life. Fear was a big part of, part of her life. And so her small group got together and, and ma- made this cake, and the baker wasn't very familiar with the Bible. And so instead of putting 1 John 4.18, he put John 4.18, which for most people it's like same verse, right? But John 4.18 is really different. 
Instead of it saying that there is no love, or there's no fear in love, perfect love, drive out fear, John 4.18 says, the fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not even your husband. Right? So we all make, we all make mistakes. That one landed a little different for her, right? Not quite as meaningful. But here's the, here's the deal. Like, Jesus never told us we weren't supposed to make mistakes. You guys know who Benjamin Zander is? Benjamin Zander? Unless you're like an orchestra junkie. Like, he leads the Boston Philhar- Philharmonic. Ever since Disney, I want to say Philharmagic. It's not Philharmagic, it's Philharmonic. It's a totally different thing. So Benjamin Zander leads the Boston Philharmonic, and, and what he believes paralyzes students from becoming great is not a lack of talent. Because he leads individual students that are some of the best in the world. And he, sa- he says that what paralyzes them, what keeps them from becoming great, is not a lack of talent. They're all extremely talented. What paralyzes them is fear. Fear, because they're so afraid of making a mistake, right? Like my old piano teacher, I played eight years of classical piano. Again, Asian. So, um, but my old piano teacher, Carlene Pinnell, I'll never forget this. Uh, we moved an hour away from our old house. I'm like, finally, I can stop taking Korean lessons. She would drive an hour to give me Korean lessons twice, or not Korean lessons, piano lessons twice a week. And the reason I say that, whenever I make a mistake, she'd hit my fingers with a ruler. And I'm like, I don't, I think you would go to jail today for that, but instead of my mom paid you to hurt me. Uh, so, so I understand what Benjamin Zander is talking about. So there's a, a, a fear of making a mistake. And so what he tells them is that not only if you make a mistake, you just ignore it and keep going. We don't do that in the Boston Philharmonic. He said, if you make a mistake, what you have to do is you have to stop, put down your instrument, if it can be put down, stand up, raise your hand. Everyone's going to stop playing and look at you. And you have to say, fascinating. It's true. Is that the craziest thing? So you mess up on your violin, you stand up, everyone stops. Fascinating. And they'll say, I've never seen it interpreted that way. I've never seen them. And they'd sit down, they'll play again. And it removes the fear of making mistakes. We as a church, we as a church should always be saying, fascinating. Fascinating. We thought that event would work. Wow. What was going through our heads? We thought those service times would make sense. We thought that that strategy was a good one. But man, fascinating, wasn't it? We learned what not to do. Let's not do that again, right? So we commit as a leadership team to everyone that goes to the church, we're going to say fascinating a lot, all right? We're going to make mistakes. We're going to try new things. It's because we don't want to get stuck We don't want someone to come down the church 10 years later and go, you guys haven't changed one bit. That is like the worst thing ever, right? You're like a bridge. You ever seen those pictures where the the bridge is still there, but the river moved over time, and now it's a bridge with no purpose, right? That's the way church can be many times. It can be a time capsule of a style of ministry for a culture that no longer exists. Culture has moved, but it's still there. We want to constantly be trying new things, and sometimes we're going to get it right, and sometimes we're not. And we're just going to see fascinating. We're not going to camp on it. We're going to learn from it and move forward. Next verse, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, God's message was preached in ever-widening circles. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. This is fascinating. It really is. Who became believers? Priests. Do you know the last people to convert to a religion? Leaders of another religion. Because there's so many reasons, right? Because they're going to have to kind of eat a lot of humble pie. They're probably, their whole like financial structure for their personal lives is going to dramatically change, right? There's all sorts of ramifications, right? 
And what we'll see over and over again is this pattern. We'll see it more with the Gentiles when the message of Christ gets out to us Gentiles. I think most of us are Gentiles here. Uh, and it says this. So here's a question. Here's a question I have for you. Who have you said no for? Who have you said no for? Who have you, who in your circle of influence, your, your coworkers, your, your neighbors, your friends, that, that you've said, man, they would never want to come to church. Man, they would never come to my small group. They would never come to youth group. They would never, the problem is you've never invited them into the conversation. You've said no for them. Who have you said no for? Who have you said no for? Because the reality is, is it impossible that they come? Maybe. But I'm looking at a lot of impossibilities too in this room. So many of you shouldn't be here. I know I shouldn't be here. I can go on and on about a lot of things. But I can go on and on about why I shouldn't be here right now and how God used some very simple series of events to be like a, a breadcrumb trail to him. So we've spoken for them. We've, we've said, you know, their life is too good. They're too busy. They may not feel like they need God. But we never asked them into the conversation. I challenge you, just ask. Not in a weird way. Like, don't go to your neighbor's house today and go, do you want to come to church with me Sunday? Don't be that. They're, they're going to be like neighborhood watch on you guys, you know? So let me ask you another question. Who's too far for God to reach? Who's too far for God to reach? Whose problems are too big? Who's someone that seemingly has no problems? The answer, no one. No one. Okay, moving on. Acts chapter 8. Verse 4, it says this, a great wave of persecution began that day. Now, persecution isn't like getting made fun of at the lunch table. Okay, this is like being executed, going to jail forever, like disappearing. This is what perse persecution is. So it says a great wave of persecution, persecution, can do this, began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. So everyone is still in Jerusalem. But remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But they're all still in Jerusalem by this stage, eight chapters in so a great wave of persecution, people are dying left and right, and it says that all the believers except the apostles fled into Judea and Samaria. Interesting. But the believers who had fled Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus. A couple thoughts on these verses. One, it's happening just as Jesus said, right? It's happening just as Jesus said. The believers are being pushed out to, to Judea and Samaria, and they're not going there quietly. They're preaching the good news there. Second thing, which I think is just as important, if not more important, is look who's being sent. It's not the apostles. It's not the church leaders. It's the lay leaders. It's the body of Christ. It's normal, everyday churchgoers. They're being sent out. Michael Green says it this way, a church historian. He says, in quote, one of the most striking features of evangelism in the early days was the people engaged in it. One of the most Striking features of evangelism in the early days was the people who engaged in it. Communicating the faith was not the preserve of the very zealous or of the officially delegated evangelist. Evangelism was the prerogative and the duty of every church member. We live in a society today where, I don't know why, but we feel like we have to bring the individual to the pastor, bring the individual to the church in order to share our faith with them. That was never the way it was meant to be. Do you, know, do you know why? It's because the minute you bring your friend to me, I don't get the real them anymore. And you'll see it. You might be surprised by it. Your coworker that has very creative uses of the English language, right? When they talk to me, filter. Filter. You get the real them. 
And the thing is, God cannot engage with who someone pretends to be. God can only engage with who they actually are. The only time I see the real people, many times, is when their life is falling apart to such a level that they don't have the energy to put up facades anymore. And then in those moments of crisis, they'll invite me into the real things that are really going on. But until then, I only see a facade, but you see the real them. And that's why it's so important that you are the one who shares the gospel. So the question for us is this. You're not going to like this, especially if you're an introvert. The question for us is this. Who's got the job? Who's got the job? The answer is you do. I do too for my neighbors and stuff. But who's got the job for the people God's called you to reach? You do. You do. God has people in this world who he wants to impact through you. And if you're like, Doc, I'm not qualified, okay, then get ready to say fascinating. But try. Try. Okay, get you off the hot seat. Next verse. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. It says this. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it grew in strength and numbers. The believers were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There's a word that's consistent. You keep that verse up there. There's a word that consistently occurs in the book of Acts, right? Numbers. Numbers. 12 disciples, 120 in the upper room, 3,000 were added that day in Acts chapter 2. How did they know? I want to think very practically. Get your head out of the sky for a second. How did they know how many people were in these different events? Simple answer? Someone counted. Someone counted. There was some intern with a clicker, like a Universal Studios. Don't move. Quit moving. Right? There's this idea that's been floating around the church, especially, that sounds really spiritual at first. And it goes something like this. We're not into numbers here, guys. We're not in numbers here, guys. We're into quality, not quantity, right? But we need to be clear about something, especially as we turn a page as a church. And we believe that the church is going to grow and will continue to grow. These aren't numbers. These are people. You're not a number. You're a person with a story, with dreams, with hurts, with disappointments, with questions, with fears, you're a person. If I went on vacation with Natalie and we brought our kids along, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we need a vacation from the vacation. So you guys' parents know about that. So, but we, we went on vacation with our kids. I'd like to come back with as many kids as we left with, right? Like most of the time. So imagine if we went on vacation and we came back with one less kid and you're like, hey, didn't you guys used to have two kids? It's like, yeah, come on, man. We're not in numbers, all right? <laughs> Quality, quality. Thankfully, we came back with this one, <laughs> right? Because, I mean, if I had to pick one of the two, I mean, let's, you know, it's quality. Not, we're just, no, no, no. Every kid matters, right? Most of the time, every kid matters. If I had 15 kids, I'd want them all to come back. So here's the question. Who matters to God? Who matters to God? Obvious answer is everyone. At Target, at Trader Joe's, even the person that's driving in the left lane 10 miles below the speed limit on the 5, and you're going, what is your issue, <laughs> right? Even that person, even that person, God loves, right? Just as much as he loves you. Think about that. In your heart, I want you to just, every, every person you see, and some of you guys that have a critical spirit like me, right? It's, this is hard, but every single person you see, I want you to think in your heart, you matter to God. You matter to God. You'll never meet someone. You'll never meet someone that Jesus didn't die for. I just want that to, I'm going slower because I want that to really sink in. You'll never meet anyone 
that Jesus didn't die for. Doesn't matter how they voted, doesn't matter what they do with their lifestyle, doesn't matter with their convictions, it doesn't matter their faith, none of that. That stuff matters, but not their value. They matter just as much as you are, right? just as much as you do. That wasn't a good sentence. Chapter, just one, this one. Acts chapter 13, verse 48, next verse. It says this, when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message, and all who were appointed to eternal life became believers. In this chapter, we see a shift here. Instead of being sent out because of persecution, which we saw before, believers are now choosing to go out to the ends of the earth. They're deciding, going, I'm comfortable here, but I'm deciding to go out further to reach more people for Jesus. Why? Why? I think about the old uh, missionaries who would go like to, to f- like have a comfortable life here in the States and they would go around the world and what they would many times do back in the day is they would, instead of having luggage, they would create a coffin. They'd literally build a, how morbid is this, right? They'd build a coffin and they'd put their stuff in the coffin. And it was a reminder for them of, I'm committed. That even if I have to come back in this, I am all in. This is not, a, this is not about comfort. This is about something bigger. And so the question for us to think about with this verse is this. What's at stake? What's at stake? We don't like to talk about this kind of stuff because it's not PC. You know, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that gets you canceled. But our question is, what, what's at stake? The reality is eternity. Eternity is on the line for everyone. And I'm not the kind of person, and it's just those of you guys that are maybe new to the church are like, just ask anybody who's been around for a while. We're not like a hellfire and a brimstone. We're not, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of church, right? Like, that's not what we are about. I don't believe that God wants to scare people in the relationship with him, but there is something very clear in Scripture that we are going to spend eternity either in heaven with God or in the other place apart from him. And so what we have to offer as a church, as, as communicators on the teaching team, what we have to offer is not our intelligence, what we have to offer is obviously not our facilities because we don't have any. What we have to offer, offer is not motivational messages or nice little things to think about. What we have to offer people is an opportunity to be in a relationship with God. That's what we have to offer. We have to offer people the reality of his presence. We have to offer people hope of his resurrection, the hope that's in the cross. And if you have something better to be a part of than that, go do it. If you, if you have a better mission to be a part of, go do that. If you want your life to just be around buying widgets and selling widgets and building more widgets, then do that. But that's not what we're supposed to be about. So we want to be clear. Eternity is on the line. Last verse for us to look at is actually really interesting. Uh, it's in Acts, and Paul is on house arrest. He's kind of on like, he's a Roman citizen. He's, he's in prison, but kind of like Martha Stewart prison, right? So... Um, it's, it's a little, a little comfier uh, than most. So he's literally in the palace of Caesar. He's in Caesar's palace, not like the original, uh, the first one. And the way it worked back in the day was uh, if you were in Caesar's palace, you had a soldier chained to you. It was their version of like the ankle bracelet, right, that like Martha would have to wear while she was on house arrest, right, running her business. So, so the soldier was uh, chained to the prisoner, so here you had Paul, who wrote many letters in the new, what we call now call the New Testament, and he would say that he's writing it from prison. Okay, so in the book of Acts, he's he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, right? We know it as the book of Philippians, right? So what would happen was a soldier would be chained to, to Paul, 
And then after their shift was over, another soldier would be chained to Paul and they would kind of trade places. So how many soldiers do you think heard the gospel? How many soldiers do you think would listen to Paul dictate writings for other people to write? Or he was reading out, writing out loud and crumpled up and wrote another version. How many soldiers do you think heard the gospel? Here's what's interesting. If you read that letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, last couple of verses of that chapter, it ends with a couple of verses that kind of color in the lines of what was really happening. It says this, verse 21, it says, Give my greetings to all the Christians there in Philippi. The brothers who are with me here in prison, the brothers who are with me here sent you their greetings. We're just hanging out having a ball of a time, right? And he says, And all the other Christians send their greetings too, especially those who work in Caesar's palace. Interesting. Especially those who work in Caesar's palace. How do you think there ended up being Christians in a pagan man's palace? Someone who claimed to be God. How do you think there ended up being Christians? In an area where you would be executed for being a Christian. Or in Paul's case, in prison for being a Christian. And that you have these employees who become Christians. How did that happen? Well, there were these guys. And they were chained to Paul. And see, they thought, they thought that Paul was their prisoner. But they had it wrong. So last question for us. What do I have to lose? What do I have to lose? If we're challenging you to do, what we challenge you to do every week is go all in on your relationship with God. Not have it this ancillary addendum in your life, but that center core, that it's the, it's the filter that all your finances, relationships, your time, your energy, your dreams, your, everything goes through this filter of following Jesus. We challenge you to go all in. What do you got to lose? What do you got to lose? Another question to go along with it, kind of a sister question is, what else in this world is worth giving up everything for? What else is there? Here's what I want you to think about. If you want that kind of relationship, if you've never given your life to God, or maybe, maybe you gave your life to God, you made a decision, you're like, I remember the day, it was in 1986, I, you know, and you made a decision for God, and to be honest, since then, you haven't lived for Him, right? You made a decision, but when it really comes down to it, your, your faith in Jesus is out here somewhere. If you get around to it, it's cool, it's not the center thing, and you're going... I want it to be the center. I want it to be the center. If that's you, we like barely ever do this. And there's maybe one day we'll unpack kind of our philosophy around it. But if it's not going too, uncom- too uncomfortable, would you could bow your heads and close your eyes? Um, not to be, not because it's more spiritual, but just because there's no one like, uh, just so you feel like no one's snooping in your personal life. <laughs> if you feel like, man, you have not made a decision to follow Jesus maybe ever, or maybe you did and you haven't really been following him authentically since then. And you're like, man, you know what? I, th- I think this is, I need to do that. I need to quit beating around the bush. I need to quit talking about it. I need to do that. If that's you, again, with no one looking around, if you could just raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come up. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. If you just raise your hand saying, that's me. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah. That's awesome.
Let me pray for you. God, I just pray for my friends that just raised their hand or even the ones that are like, oh, it's right about to, but, or I should have. God, I pray that you, would you help them? God, would you lead them into a deeper relationship with you? God, we all need you, God. God, would you make your word come alive to them? Would you help them find relationships that are going to show them what it means to do this, God? I pray against any guilt or shame or condemnation or anything the enemy would want to put in their lives. God, I pray that they would live fully for you, full of hope and full of joy and full of peace and full of love, not driven by fear or condemnation. We give it to you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. In Jesus' name. Lastly, for the rest of us, Jesus is still having graduation day for his disciples. And so he's asking us, and I'm asking you, and this is how we're going to end today. We're going to ask you, will you be part of this next chapter? Will you be part of writing Acts chapter 29? The big question I want us to leave thinking about is if the Bible were still being written today, if the Bible were still being written today, would you be a person? Would you be a person? Honestly, think about it. Would you be a person that he would write about? Would you be? Would we be a church? Would you be a family? Would we be a a, a church that God would write about? Or are we just having services? Would you be someone that Jesus would write about if Acts 29 were still being written today? Or are you just, you just go to services? You just sing some songs? It's more than that. So, before we sing this one last time, let me pray for you one more time. Uh, And then we'll sing this uh, song together. God, um, God, I pray in the midst of all the stuff going on in this world, God, I pray that if there's anything that was said today that wasn't from you, God, I pray that you strike it from our memory. But God, I pray that would you, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, God, would you do what only you can do? Would you draw us into a deeper relationship with you? Would you pull us into a deeper relationship with you, God? That, That really impacts every decision we make. The stuff that people see and the stuff that people don't see. That our relationship with you would impact what we look at on our phone, what we think about, what we dream about, what we prioritize in our lives. And God, would you help us as a church to reach more people for you? God, but it's you who add add people to to the church. It's, It's you who change lives, not us, God. A sermon can't change a life, but you can. A song can't change a life, but you can. And so, God, would you change lives like only you can? I pray that people would leave every Sunday feeling full of hope, of the possibilities in you. And we as a church family commit to leaning in with everything that we have for the short amount of time that we have on this earth to make a difference in eternity, to make sure that heaven is as crowded as we can make it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing this uh, together.